I invite you to pray together with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for who you are, for your goodness, for your grace, for your love toward us, and we thank you that you are Lord above all. And Lord, I want to bring before you some of those who are suffering in this world. And I think of the war in Ukraine that continues to go on. I think of those who have lost their lives and, and for the families who are, who are and the people who are affected by it. Or I think of the, the earthquakes in Turkey and for all those who have died and suffered because of that. And Lord, we pray that out of your rich mercy and love that you would use these tragedies to draw people to yourself. We pray that the people would, would seek you with all of their hearts because, Lord, you promised that those who seek you with all their hearts will find you. And Lord, we bring before you uh, Betty and Bridger this morning serving in Southeast Asia. We pray that you would strengthen and empower them for your service there. We pray also for Sam and for Josh and for Carl, also serving with MX through SBC. And we pray that you'd fill them all with, with wisdom and courage that they need to extend your love uh, in the ways that you've planned. And Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray for our congregation, Lord, that you would open our ears, our hearts to receive from you. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth be edifying and from you. And Lord, if there's anything that is not of you, Lord, I pray that it would just simply fall away. I pray all these things for your honor, for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing the sermon series in the Gospel of John. And this is Jesus' farewell message to his disciples the evening before his crucifixion. Now, the message that Jesus shares in this passage is a, is a beautiful image. Now, sometimes the Christian faith is reduced to Jesus coming into this world to pay for our sins so that we might be forgiven and have an eternal future in heaven with God. Sometimes it's reduced to that. But here in this passage, we see that Jesus, he's not just concerned about the there and then. He is also very concerned about the here and now. And he desires to fill us with an abundant and fruitful life. He desires to use us for his good purposes. Now let's read this passage together. This is John 15. I'm going to read from the ESV. Uh, the verses will also be up on the screen as well. And as we read, I invite you to imagine the image that Jesus is painting here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. But this is my Father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The vine and the branches. This is a, is a fantastic image. 
And I've included a picture here on the, on the screen so you can kind of see what the disciples may have been imagining as Jesus shared this, this with them. Again, keep in mind their setting. Jesus, he's with his disciples in the upper room. This is the evening before his crucifixion. Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. He has dismissed Judas, the betrayer. And now he is sharing with them his farewell message before he goes to the cross. Now in the previous passage, Jesus, he's just spoken about his, the new relationship that his disciples would have with him through the indwelling of the Spirit. And now, in this passage, he describes this relationship by using this metaphor. Jesus is the vine, they are the branches, and his Father is the vine dresser, the, the gardener, whose goal it is that they would bear much fruit. Now, there are two things that are essential in order for these disciples to bear much fruit. First is their vital union with Christ. In other words, they need to stay connected to the vine, to abide in Christ. And second, the pruning of the Father. And we'll get to that part shortly. But at the very core of who a follower of Jesus is, is their relationship to Jesus their union with the Savior. Now, we see this all over the New Testament. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, it's built into our very identity. Do you know which word the New Testament most commonly uses to refer to Jesus' followers? Hint, it's not the word Christian. The word Christian actually is only found three times in the New Testament, uh, twice in Acts and once in 1 Peter. And this was a word that the world used to describe these people. Now, early Christians, they preferred different words, such as uh, saints. They preferred to be called saints or disciples or believers. However, if you were to do a bit of a browse through the New Testament, you would find a much more common word to describe these followers of Jesus. They preferred to be known as those who are in Christ. Now, this expression, in Christ or in Him, is, is the most common. In, in fact, it occurs close to 200 times in the New Testament. We are those who are in Christ. As the branches are in the vine. See, this union with Christ, this is the heartbeat of the Christian life. Those who have given their lives to Jesus are united with Him. We belong to Him. We've been saved through him. And we have, uh, and through our faith and allegiance to Jesus, he has taken our sin and he has given us his righteousness. He has given his, us his spirit who dwells within us. Now, followers of Jesus, we are those who are in Christ. So, here in, in John 15, Jesus is helping his disciples uh, understand what this means through this powerful image. Now, as, as a follower of Jesus, our identity is found in our connection to the vine. And now, to be apart from that vine is to be separated from Christ. To be apart from the vine is to dry out and die. And the only thing a dried out branch is good for is starting a fire. And so we find this word, abide, 
seven times in the first eight verses. And so what does it mean to abide in Christ? It's, not, it's a word that we don't use very frequently, but I thought I'd you know, put it up on the, maybe you saw it as you came into the building today, it's a, it's a big atrium word now, abide. What does it mean? Well, to abide in Christ very simply means to keep in close fellowship to Christ. And as we will see later in this passage, this means listening to his word and obeying his commands. To live as he has called us to live. And it means confessing our sin and depending on him. This is all part of living in relationship with God. To abide in Christ means to depend on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's what we talked about last time. It means to listen to the Spirit and to walk in step with the Spirit. We are the branches. Jesus is the vine. And the branches, they get their, their nutrients, uh, their life, their resources from the vine. Now, it is impossible to grow as a healthy follower of Jesus apart from the vine. And therefore, as Jesus says in verse 8, the evidence of being a disciple of Christ is found in the fruit that we bear. This all comes from the vine. Now, the second thing that Jesus teaches his disciples is that abiding in Christ to grow in the vine it involves pruning by the Father. Now, I have to confess, I'm not much of a gardener. Uh, I've tried a little bit of pruning on my apple tree because it really needs it, but I'm not good at it. Now, I, have, I don't really know what I'm doing for this whole process. But I do know why the pruning is important. Now, for those who don't know, uh, pruning involves cutting uh, back some of the twigs and the branches. So I've got a slide up here. You can kind of see uh, a picture as an example of what this is. So first, it involves cutting out any of the dead or the diseased or the unproductive branches. And it's important to remove these branches so that they do not hinder the vine. You don't want the nutrients of the vine going to these branches that shouldn't be there or are not helpful. Secondly, he prunes or, or cuts away some of the living tissue, some of the smaller twigs, in order to focus the nutrients of the vine so that the rest of the vine can become more healthy and more fruitful. Now, all of this is intended to do one thing, promote more healthy growth and more and better fruit. And so what I've discovered with my own apple tree is that when I don't do this, our apples are small. There may be lots of them, but they're small. They're not very ripe and healthy as, as they would be otherwise. So, uh, like I said, I'm still learning this whole process. But even though I don't know what branches and twigs to prune, when it comes to our lives, the Heavenly Father knows. And you know what? Honestly, one of the worst things God could do to a believer, would be to simply leave him or her alone. Right? To simply let them have their own way. Because, because God loves us, he prunes us. He works on us and he cuts away some of the stuff in our lives in order to encourage us to bear more fruit for his kingdom and glory. Now if the branches could speak, they would confess that this pruning process probably hurts but they would also rejoice in the fact that they are able to produce more 
and bitter fruit. Now, raising children, I've discovered, has some close parallels. Now, one of the most unloving and irresponsible things that a parent could do would be to simply let their child do whatever they want. Play video games all day, stay up half the night, eat chips and chocolate bars for, for meals, turn a blind eye to whenever they misbehave, kids are probably thinking, hmm, that doesn't sound so bad. But what a loving parent seeks to do instead is to teach their kids to do chores, to, to eat healthy foods even when it's kind of uncomfortable, to teach them to study for school, to discipline them when they misbehave or not acting the way they should, to limit the time that they spend in front of screens, to create structure in their lives. Now, why would a parent do all that? Because I can tell you, it's not easy, and it comes with no shortage of complaining and resistance. And the answer is because we want them to grow up to become good and healthy and responsible adults. We want to equip them to raise up the next generation one day. We want them to be positive contributors, contributors to society. We want them to produce good fruit in their lives that will then bless others as well. And so practically speaking, what does this pruning of the Father does? What is it? What is it? What is this pruning? And often, often it comes through the hardships and the difficulties and the sufferings that we face in this life. God often uses these to prune us, to cut out the fluff, the, the dead stuff, the stuff that's hindering our growth and to teach us to rely on him. Now, I need to clarify this. God is not the source of suffering in this world. I look at some of the atrocities and the horrible things that human beings are capable of doing to one another. War and rape and child abuse. The list goes on. God is not the source of that. The source of our suffering is, is sin and evil and, and the brokenness in this world that, like I said before, is so desperately longing to be redeemed. And we know this because we can look back to Genesis 1 and 2, we can look forward to, to Revelation 22, and we see that there is no more suffering when Jesus comes back to restore all things. And I don't want to oversimplify this by saying that every bad thing that has happened to you is God's pruning. But even in that, I want you to know that, that God is our hope and our healer through all circumstances. God is the hope and the healer. And as we live in this world, our redeeming God, he's not afraid to use the suffering and the hardships to prune us to make us more fruitful. And in this way, he redeems our suffering. He brings good out of bad. This is what our God does. Just look at what our God did through the cross where he brought about the greatest good out of the most horrible evil. Now make no mistake that the pruning in our lives is uncomfortable. It can be painful. And one of the questions that we often face uh, when we face hardship is this. 
Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen? Do you not care about me? And often, the primary thing that we want is simply relief from the hardship. This is, this is our human request. But in this image of the Father that Jesus gives us, we see that, that God loves us too much to let us stay stagnant or to become dry. God wants us to grow and to thrive and to bear fruit. And it is difficult, if not impossible at times, for our, our finite minds to fully grasp what our infinite Lord is all doing. But, if we embrace what Jesus teaches here about our union with him, that his spirit dwells within us, that Jesus loves us to the end, we can begin to realize that what to our eyes may seem harmful, it may just be essential for our spiritual development and for our usefulness. Now, I want you to know something very important. Your heavenly Father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you. Put another way, during this pruning process by the Father, he is so ever close to you. And sometimes he cuts away the dead wood that might cause trouble, but he often cuts off the living tissue that's robbing you from your own from, from spiritual vigor. See, pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes the bad. It can also mean cutting away the good or the better so that we might enjoy the best. And maybe this is uh, the, the loss of a job or the loss of a relationship. Maybe it's failure on a test. Perhaps you didn't get into a program. Maybe you're going through a health crisis. You're battling cancer, maybe, or depression, or maybe you're experiencing the loss of a loved one. There, there's the, as we live in this world, there are so many examples of hardships that we face. And I invite you to ask yourself, what is the Lord seeking to do in me through this? And I invite you to look to the Lord and trust that he desires to use this to make you more fruitful. And the words of, of John 13, verse 7 they ring true in this circumstance as well. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. And I can't, I, I'm not here to, to explain all the sufferings that you were going through in this life. But we do know that the pruning hurts, but it also helps. We may not enjoy it, but God works it out for our good. Listen to people's testimonies. Share your testimonies. None of us, I don't think, invite hardship or trouble into our lives. But as you listen to people's stories, you will find that it is in the hardship that our faith grows. For it is in these moments that people learn to depend on God's comfort, on His wisdom and His strength, and it's often out of the hardship where a person's ministry will be found because you, you learn to understand and to empathize. And it's journeying through these hardships that allow you to minister to others who go through something similar. And this is where so much of that fruit can be found. 
Because the fruit that grows from our pruning is always intended to be a blessing to others. And the fruit that we bear is not simply, it's not primarily for our own benefit. It's for the benefit of others. It's for the building of God's kingdom. And so verse 7, we, we find this, this key verse on what it looks like to abide in Christ. And that is to let his words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, not surprisingly, this verse has been taken out of context more than once. Now, Jesus, he does not mean that if you ask for a million dollars that it's just going to be given to you. Rather, Jesus is implying that as we abide in him and his words abide in us, our heart's desires will begin to reflect more and more the heart of Jesus. And the things that we ask for will, and the things that we pursue will be more and more in line with the heart of God. So let's take a moment here and explore what this means to let the word of Christ dwell in us, abide in us. So the Apostle Paul, he writes something similar. This is Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Put very simply, as followers of Jesus We need to have his words, the words of God, influencing our minds, shaping our will and our desires. And this involves participating in regular worship, meditation on God's word, reading, studying, memorizing scripture. It involves prayer, service, and sacrifice. It means to prioritize our relationship with God. It means to allow God to influence all of the areas of our lives. Abiding in Christ and growing in Christ's likeness involves our doing what God's word tells us. But more profoundly is what God's word is doing to us. Because through God's word, the Holy Spirit is shaping and transforming us. And this links us to this next section of verses here. This is verses seven, 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you my friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Abide in my love. As a parent, I have learned a lot. I've shared some of it already. But there's something very profound and beautiful about small children. There's lots of things, but here's one of them. When one of my kids would 
to get hurt, especially when they're younger, when they go through some kind of a pain, the primary thing that they needed to know is that they were loved. See, the younger they were, the more evident this was. And sometimes this meant fixing a problem or, or bandaging up some kind of a bleeding limb. But mostly it means being there for them, being present, expressing comfort and care. It means to listen and to hold. And I think this is a big part of what it means to abide in Christ's love. See, as human beings, especially when we get older, we are so often tempted to follow the example of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, because we try to hide. When something bad or embarrassing happens, when we get hurt or something, we try to hide. And then we look for a way to bandage up our problems on our own. And this is where these young children have so much to teach us. Because their first instinct is not to hide. Their first instinct is to cry out for help and to find the person who cares for them the most. And when they find them, they crawl into their safe and loving arms. The bandage, I can wait. As I said earlier, to abide in Christ means to keep in close fellowship to God. And Jesus, he spells it out pretty clearly, clearly in this section of verses. To abide in him, to remain in close fellowship with God, means to have his words abiding in us, and it requires us to obey his commands. Because at the end of the day, as Jesus says in verse 12, his command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That's the big command. Now, I know that there will be some that scoff at this, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but you know, people thinking, there we are, all, all those rules and commands again. But hear me on this. At the heart of all of God's commands is for us to love. At the heart, that's the heart of them. I, I, all of God's commands are intended to lead us toward loving God and loving other people. And notice who he gives this command to. This is verses 13 and 14. He gives these commands to his friends. To give commands to like subordinates or to people that you have conquered to keep them in line, now that's one thing. Right? That sounds oppressive. But here Jesus is giving them to his friends. They are not given to be a burden to them, but to help them and to guide them. These commands that Jesus gives them, are they're filled with grace. See, they're intended to give life. They're intended to change our lives for the better. We need them. Go and take a look at the, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Well, you can maybe look at them later. But look at the list. And I, I dare you to try to find one in that list that is intended to be a burden to us. They were all intended to be good for the community. They were intended to give life. Right? We read a lot about the Sabbath in the Old Testament and how you know, all the rules will keep in the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was intended to give life. It was intended... God was encouraging them to rest. Coming out of slavery, this was a gift. When we neglect the word, when we ignore God's commands, when a, when a person disconnects from a local church, when they ignore the scriptures, God's commands and God's truth, they become lost. And then something else happens. 
people find a different God. And they live for and they obey that God. And you know who that God is more often than not? Ourselves. And there's something you must know. We are terrible gods. Because left to ourselves, our big mission is we're driven by pride and selfishness otherwise. And we focus on the immediate and the temporary. But Jesus calls us to abide in his love, to follow him, to obey his commands because they are life for us. And Jesus has modeled this life. This is what he's telling us. He's modeled this life as faithfully as possible. He's demonstrated this love by caring for people and by teaching them and advocating for people, by lifting them up and by helping them. He's also this modeled, he's modeled this love by, by resisting sin and evil. And in verse 13, he gives them a hint as to how he will show this love to them very soon in the most powerful and profound way. He will lay down his life for them. And the disciples, they, they would not grasp the significance of what Jesus did on the cross at the time. However, it would become evident after he had been risen from the dead because it was at the cross where Jesus conquered sin and death, where he made a way for us to be forgiven. And by trusting in him for our salvation, he has reconciled us to God. He has invited us to abide with him in the vine. And so Jesus calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be fruitful through all the things that we are going through. And the result of obedience to Christ is fruitfulness. And as we abide in Christ, it is the Spirit who then produces this fruit in us. And it's not our job to determine what all this fruit is going to be. That's the Spirit's work. And surely it will include characteristics that reflect Christ. Right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Surely it will include that. And this is produced in us for the benefit of those in our lives. Whatever, what other fruit that God produces in us? We'll let the Spirit decide that as we are faithful. This passage here is an invitation. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And Jesus is inviting us to abide in him. And so how do we do that? Above all, we must cultivate an attitude of dependence on him. And this is what the children teach us so well. When we are hurt, draw near to Christ for comfort. When we need help, draw near to Christ for his wisdom and for his guidance. When we mess up and when we sin, draw near to Christ for cleansing and forgiveness. When we serve and minister to others, draw near to Christ for his power and his wisdom. Jesus did not shy away from the difficult stuff. He faced the opposition. He endured the suffering. He willingly went to the cross. And he did this because he knew it would be worth it. And when the trials and difficulties come in our lives, I invite you to have faith and know that the Father is ever present. Trust and believe that he is good, that he is full of love toward us, and he is doing a good work in us. And his pruning is an act of love that is designed to help you grow deeper into Christ and to bear more fruit. Let's pray together.
Lord, make us fruitful, we pray. We, thankful, we thank you for how you have drawn near to us. Help us to abide in you. And as we abide, may your word and spirit bring life to us, more and more life, abundant life, so that our life produces more fruit until the day we die. To the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.